Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. That's right. Today is Star Wars Day. It's uh, May the 4th be with you. And... uh, I, I love the fact that there's a, a day that they dedicate to Star Wars. Of course, all, all of you Star Trek fans know that Star Trek Day is April 26. I'll explain that later. But may the 4th be with you. That's today. It's May the 4th. In fact, uh, we searched and searched. We actually found out that it does talk about Star Wars in the Bible. In uh, the book of Joshua, it says that the force was with him. So... We're going along with this whole Star Wars theme. But I love this movie. And for me, because the very first Star Wars movie that I saw, which I thought was the Star Wars movie, actually turned out to be episode four, which was where they started. But then they went back to one, two, and three, and then over to... It's very complicated. But whenever somebody asks me which movie is Star Wars, I always think of Star Wars, the very first one uh, that was starring this guy, Mark Hamill. That's for me, that's Star Wars. And, and one of the things about this movie, if you haven't read it or if you haven't watched it yet, then I'm about to tell you a lot about it, so I apologize for that. But in the, in the original Star Wars movie, when it first came out, uh, the storyline was about this guy, and his name was Luke Skywalker. And Luke lived on a planet called Tatooine. And his parents had passed away, and so he was living with his aunt and his uncle, and they were farmers. And Luke wanted to do everything that he could to get off of that planet. In fact, in the movie, it tells us that Luke had already been accepted to go to the Imperial Academy, which was basically the place where they trained all of the bad guys. And he was set to go there before a whole bunch of things happened and completely changed his life. But he didn't want to stay on Tatooine because people are known by what they do. And on Tatooine, he was a farmer. And on this particular planet, if you were a farmer, you were nobody. And he did not want to be nobody. He wanted to be somebody, as we all do. And in the movie, as it is in our culture today, we are defined by what we do. We evaluate each other based on what are the things that we do. Not just our jobs, but also our actions, our decisions. We can see this because when we see a child, the question that we ask them is always, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we never expect them to say, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be a kind human being. Nobody ever expects that. Right. When they grow up, they want to be a doctor. They want to be a lawyer. They want to be a fireman. They want to be a ballerina. They want to be a princess. My son wanted to be a dinosaur. When he grew up. So we have, we have this thing where what we do and the things that we've left undone are what define who we are. And so what we end up doing is we end up putting out in front all of the things that we think are good. And we hide all of the things that we think are bad. And today, it, with the advent of social media, it has become even more prevalent. Because today, that's all social media is. It's about putting out front all of the good things in your life and desperately trying to put all of the bad things in a place where no one can find them. So we hide them. 
And we have bad events in our life, and we hide them. And we have bad relationships in our life, and we hide them. And sometimes we have a bad year. Some of us have had a bad five years. And we try to hide it. And hiding it can be exhausting. And so what we have seen and what Scripture tells us is that Jesus takes this whole concept of you are what you do, and he totally takes it apart. He separates you from the things that you've done or the things that you've left undone. He keeps those two separate. And he even separates you from the things that are descriptive of you that you've had no say at all in how you got there. In where you were born. Or how you were raised. Or who your parents were. The things that you had no decision uh, that they just came upon you. He separates you from even those things. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus's encounter with a woman. A woman. A woman who, because of who she was, because of the things in her life about her that she had nothing, no say in, she made no decisions, it was just who she was, but also a woman because of the things that she did, the decisions that she made, because of those things, this woman should have absolutely no value, at least in her eyes, to somebody like Jesus. And Jesus would totally turn it upside down. So we're going to look at this account. It was written by a man named John. And John was one of the people that followed Jesus very, very closely. And what John did was at the end of his life, he reflected back on everything that he had seen, everything that he had heard, everything that he had experienced with Jesus. And he wrote down all of these things in a letter that we call today the book of John. And so in John chapter 4, it says this. So he, and that's Jesus, he left Judea. And returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now in order for this to make any significance to us. We have to understand what Samaria was at that time. And what it meant for him to say that he had to go through Samaria. So Samaria was right in the, air, right the center section of the area today that we call the West Bank. To the south of Samaria was Judea. To the north of Samaria, Samaria was Galilee. And Galilee is where Jesus was from. So many, many years before Jesus was there, the Assyrians from the Assyrian Empire came in and they captured Samaria. And they took a whole bunch of people that were living in Samaria and they kicked them out. And then they took a bunch of people who were living in other areas of their empire and they imported them into this section right in between Judea and Galilee. And they brought not only the, the people in, but they brought all of those people's different religions in. And so this section right in there where it had a few of the Jewish people left and a bunch of people from all different places from all over the Assyrian empire, they began to intermarry together and they had all of these different religions, but they also kept their worship of God. So for many years, the Sumerians were polytheistic. They had many different gods, including the God that the Jews worshipped. Over time, they eventually got rid of the polytheism that they had, and they all started and became worshippers of God. 
but it was kind of like a weird variation of it. Like they only believed the first five books of the Jewish scriptures, the first five books of what we today refer to as the Bible. That's all that they believed were sacred. They totally tossed out everything else. And so the Jews did not like them very much because they had this really weird version of their religion. So what happened was in 539, um, 539 B.C., the Jewish people were sent into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And they had, to, they had to go out. They had to completely abandon their land. And then in 539, they came back. 539 was the year that the Jews came back from their Babylonian exile. And they came back into Jerusalem. And the Samaritans who lived in Samaria, they said, hey, we want to help you. Because the first thing that Jewish people wanted to do was they wanted to rebuild their temple. See, to the Jewish people, the only way that they could get connected to God was to be in the temple. And the Babylonians had destroyed the temple. So they wanted to rebuild it. And the Samaritans, they said, hey, we'll help you rebuild the temple. And the Jewish people said, no, we don't want your help. Go away. And this really kind of ticked off the Samaritans. And so when they finally got the temple fixed and finished... The Jews said, okay, this is the temple of God. And the Samaritans said, no, we don't, we're not going to go to your temple. You didn't want our help, so we're not going to go there. So what they did was that in 400 BC, the Samaritans built their own temple. They built the temple on Mount Gerizim. It was a, a place in Samaria. And the Jews said, you can't build a temple there because that's not a real temple because the only temple where God lives is the one that we built. And the Samaritans said, no, the only temple that God lives is the one that we built. And so in 128 BC, the Jews went into Samaria and they destroyed the Samaritan temple. Just blew it down. These two groups of people did not like each other. So here's Jesus. And Jesus is in Judea, which is on the south side of Samaria. And he's getting ready to go back home to Galilee, which is on the north side of Samaria. Now, the people who lived in Judea and the, uh, uh, Judea and the people who lived in Galilee, they were all the same people. But for them to get from Galilee to Judea, it's a three-day journey to go through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans so much that they would not go down through Samaria. Instead, what they would do is they would go east. They would cross over the Jordan River, then go up, cross back over the Jordan River to get into Galilee. Let me give you an example that for those of you who are here with us today, uh, and maybe even some of you who are watching us online, that you would understand Imagine for a moment that you wanted to go to San Mateo to get some boba. But you absolutely hated the people in Milbrae. You couldn't stand them. But the only way to get from here to San Mateo is through Milbrae. And you just would not do it. So instead of taking the 101 straight down, you get on the freeway, you go up, around, across the Bay Bridge, down the 880, all the way to Hayward, cut across the San Mateo Bridge, and then come up and get your boba. You see how ridiculous that is? This is how bad the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They were willing to travel an extra three days, 
three days to cut through, six days to go around. They were willing to travel the extra three days just so that they didn't have to go through and see any Samaritans. And so here's Jesus. And he is in Judea and he's heading to Galilee. And he doesn't have to go through Samaria because the normal route for the Jews to go is to go around, crossing over the river twice. But John says, no, 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 you don't understand. In this particular instance, Jesus had to go through Samaria to get there. There was something that had to happen. Verse 5, it goes on and it says this. He says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob and Joseph is part of a, a story of the history of Israel. And if you don't know that story, the, first, the entire first section of the Bible is all about the story of Jacob and, and, and his family and Joseph. And, and this is a, a very significant place that they're talking about. Significant maybe not to us, but to the people who were living there, this is a very important place. In fact, it goes on and tells us why. It says that Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And then it says this. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, this is huge. We read this and we think there's a guy and he's thirsty and there's a woman and she's at the well and he's asking her for water. But it is so much more than that. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans, not only would they not eat with each other, but if you had a fork that was used by a Samaritan, a Jew wouldn't touch it. That's how bad it was. They would not touch the utensils of people from the other side. They wouldn't at all. In fact, they would never... It was inconceivable to them to eat a meal with a Jewish person. They just wouldn't do it. So to her, seeing this man who she can see is Jewish, and seeing this man who, from the way that he was dressed, she probably assumed that he was a rabbi, for her, what he was basically saying to her was this. He was saying to her, listen, woman, take that disgusting Samaritan bucket of yours, drop it into your nasty Samaritan well, and give me a taste of your nasty, disgusting Samaritan water. I will allow it to touch my holy Jewish lips. That's how she would have interpreted what Jesus said to her. And right here, before anything else happens, before Jesus says anything else to her, before they engage in the conversation that would completely change her life, what he's telling her is, I see you exactly as you are. I don't know anything about the things that you've done, but I clearly see all of the things that you are that you had no, nothing to do with. And I still am willing to talk to you. He's basically saying, I accept you just as you are. That's what he's telling this woman. So it goes on in verse 8, and it says, He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, this also is a pretty significant thing because his disciples were all Jewish men. They were um, business owners. Some of them were religious leaders. None of them would ever think of going through Samaria. And yet, 
Here they are, and not only were they in Samaria, but they were, about, they were going into a Samaritan village to get food. So obviously, something had changed with these 12 Jewish men just from hanging out with Jesus. And so it goes on in verse 9, and it says this, The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, you see, she expected that when she would run into a Jewish person, especially to a person like Jesus, she expected rejection. She expected rejection because of who she was. She was a Samaritan woman, and he was a Jewish man. He, she expected that he wouldn't want anything to do with her. But not only that, he was a rabbi. So it was even more than just simply that she was a Samaritan. It was also that she practiced a, what he would think of as a deviation of their Jewish religion. But even more than that, he made sure to, to tell us, when John was writing this, he said that she was a Samaritan woman. Now, in this culture, women were not talked to in public. Even if you, it was your wife or your daughter, if you were out in public, you would not speak to them. The threshold for that was even higher with a rabbi. Not only would rabbis not speak to women in public, even if they were related to them, but if they passed by a woman, they would close their eyes so that they didn't have to see them. In fact, we're told of all the stories where the rabbis would walk, they'd close their eyes because there's women there, and they would bump into walls. Because they didn't want to see the woman, they also didn't see the wall. They didn't see the cart. They didn't see the donkey poop. They were just going over everything because they had their eyes closed. This is how bad it was. And so this is how surprised, imagine how surprised this woman is that this Jewish rabbi is talking to her. But see, for her, it was more than that. Because while Jesus only saw who she was, Jesus still, in her mind, had no idea of all the things that she had done. See, she had gone to get water at noontime. And in this culture, no one gets water at noontime. For a couple of reasons. First of all, you want to get your water early in the morning because you need your water to do your chores. You need your water to make breakfast. You need your water to clean. You need your water for all sorts of things that you're going to be doing through the day. So people who went to get water, and in this culture, it was usually the women... They went to get the water early in the morning when it wasn't so hot or late in the afternoon when it wasn't so hot. So for this woman to be at the well at noontime meant that there was something about her that made her a social outcast to all of the rest of the people that were in her village. There was something about her, something that she had done that made people reject her. Jesus would have known that. So she's asking, why do you ask me for a drink? And it says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, let's take a minute and let's break this down. The first thing he says is, if you only knew the gift God has for you. See, she, what Jesus is saying is, is that there's a gift that God has 
and you don't know what it is. There's a gift that I, that, that I know exists that comes from God, but you don't know anything about it. You don't understand the gift that God has for you. That's, the, that's how he's setting it up. And then he says, if you knew the gift that God has for you, and then and, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. Now imagine for a moment, you go down to uh, the mall, and you walk into the department store, and there is a person there, and he says to you, listen, the owner of this store has a gift for you. And if you knew who I was, you would ask me for that gift. Right? Now think about it. Who do you think the guy that's talking to you is? Wouldn't you think it was the owner of the store? Because he's saying, hey, the owner of the store has a gift for you. And if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for that gift. See, he's saying the same thing here. Listen, God has a gift for you. And if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for that gift. You see what he's saying? And then he goes on and says, and he says, and I would give you living water. Now, that concept of living water is something that for us, maybe we don't understand what it means. But in this culture, in fact, even today, in many, many cultures around the world, water is life. If you don't have access to water, you don't have access to the source of life. And when Jesus says living water, what he's talking about is more than life. He's talking about health. He's talking about prosperity. He's talking about cleansing. And he's talking about healing. He said, this is not just quenching your thirst. He says, there's something more here. And so this is how the woman responds. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get the living water? And at this point, we don't know if she's being sarcastic. Because certainly she must understand that when he said living water, that he's talking about something different. Or maybe she just totally doesn't get what he's trying to say. But she is still talking as if what Jesus is talking about is something tangible. It's, it's something that you can hold. It's something that you can put in a bucket. And so she's looking at Jesus who is sitting by the well. And she's saying, you're going to give me some water? You don't even have a rope or a bucket. She has a rope. She has a bucket. She knows how to get the water. She knows that the well is deep. So I have all of the things that the world says that I need in order to get water. Are you following me here? I have everything that the world tells me that I need to have in order to get life-giving water. Where are you going to get it? I have everything that I need in order to survive. In fact, I don't, I have more, I've got a long rope. I have more than I need to survive. Where are you going to get your water from? And then she goes on and she says this. She says, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Here's the second part. See, in the first part, she said, I already have all of the tools to get the water that I need. The second part, she's saying, listen, I have gone all over. I know all about what good water is. This right here, this well, this Jacob's well right here, this is the best water that you could ever imagine. 
There's no other water better than this. Don't we do that? The stuff that I have in my life is already as good as it's going to get. There is nothing better than what I've got right here. I can do it all. I don't need you. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, the living water, will soon, no, not the living water, who drinks this water, this is Jacob's well water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. Have you ever gone through your day? Maybe you're at work or maybe you're outside doing, uh, um, I don't know. Do, do we still do lawn work in the Bay Area where nobody has a lawn anymore? O- outside work, you know, or maybe you're biking or you're, you're walking outside or you, you've just got to this place where you're so busy doing stuff that you forget to drink water. Like I have. You know that film that comes into your mouth? That, 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 that feeling like you know you need something, but you're not really sure what it is, but you actually know exactly what it is. You know how you're not, there's some times where it, you, can have, you can have ice cold soda if you like soda. You could have ice cold milk if you like milk. You could have ice cold coconut water if you like coconut water. But none of those things satisfy like water. You know what I'm talking about? This is what he's talking about. Now, imagine that we never, ever have to feel that feeling again, that craving for water, that thirst for water. And Jesus says, listen, the water that you've got, you're going to have to keep earning it over and over again. You're going to have to keep coming and doing the work and you have to do it over and over every single day if you want to keep getting that water I've got something that when you drink it, you're never going to be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And eternal life is just a phrase that means a permanent connection to the source of life. Don't get hung up on the phrase eternal life like it's this ethereal someday in the, in the sweet by and by that it's going to come to you. All he's saying is you never have to be disconnected to the source of life. And I read that and I just think, man, a fresh bubbling spring, ice cold water. And that's what he's saying. And I think she's finally trying to get starting to get it, because right after he says that the woman, the woman says this, she says, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Now, see, she's still thinking that it's some type of fountain of youth, you know, in a plastic, pretty packaged bottle that I'm going to get, and I'm going to actually be able to physically drink it. She's still thinking that it's something that she's going to be able to hold in her hand. Give it to me and I'll never have to come back here. I'll never have to come back and draw water out of this well again. Give it to me. And Jesus, recognizing that she's still not getting it, she says this. She says, I mean, Jesus says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Now, isn't that a weird thing to say? 
Like we're having this conversation about water and living water. And okay, I want to have that water. Where am I going to get it? And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, go and get your husband. I mean, especially for women, right? When do we ever, when do you ever go get your husband? Usually you're trying to figure out what to do when they're around. He, she, he says, go and get your husband. And listen to how she responds. She says, uh, I don't have a husband. Right? I don't have a husband. So I'm not sure what you're talking about or who you've been talking to, but I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. Five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Jesus is just letting all of her. You ever watch Montel Williams? A television show, right? And, and, uh, or, or Jerry Springer or one of those shows where he's talking to her and he's pretending that he's really, really like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand completely. Oh, that's so awful. And tell me again, how many husbands have you had? Well, I really haven't had any husbands. Oh, you've had five. Let's bring them on out here. And they start walking outside, right? And everybody's clapping and somebody's throwing a chair. This is exactly what's going on with Jesus, right? I haven't had a husband. No, you had five husbands. And the dude that you're hanging out with now isn't your husband either. Yeah, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. You've had five. Now listen, in this culture, the only way that you have five husbands is if you've killed five husbands. You've been widowed or widow, widow, widowed, widowed, which is the male? Widower. So it's widowed. You've been widowed five times and she hasn't been widowed five times. And so she's like, imagine her, right? She's talking to this guy and he goes, no, you had five husbands. And, and so she's, her response, I think all of our responses, if that happened, would be like, what are you, a mind reader? Right? That's her response. In the next verse, it says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You must be somebody who can see things that no one else can. I can see her there sitting there going, are you a prophet? Right? As she's slowly backing away, you know, it's like, did one of my husbands send you? Now, listen, this is important. And there, there's a reason why Jesus kind of did a right turn and started talking to her about her husbands. Her five and a half husbands. You see, this is a woman who has already been trying to find the thing that was going to satisfy her soul. She had already been spending her entire life trying to figure out what was that thing that is going to make me feel finally satisfied with my life. That was going to, to, to quench that deep longing inside her. And for her, she was trying to find it in men. And so she went through man after man after man after man. How many is that? Three, four, man after man after man. Trying to find that thing That would satisfy her soul. See that's why Jesus tilted over. And started talking about this. Because he wanted to remind her. Listen there is already something in you. That's trying to find. What is going to quench. That that thirst that you have. There's already something in you. That's trying to do that. There's already something in every single one of us. 
that is trying to find that thing that is going to satisfy the thirst in our soul. And for her, it was husband after husband. For some of us, it's money after money after money. Some of us, it's career after career after career. We have been going on this treadmill trying to find the one thing that's going to bring us that feeling that we can finally rest because we have been satisfied. So at this point, she's like, okay, I'm not understanding exactly what you're saying. So she's going to take her own left turn. And she says, you must be a prophet. But after that, she says this. She says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Now, listen to Jesus's reply. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, think about what, she's, what, what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, listen, you are trying to find your connection to God. And you see that there is something in me that is different because I'm able to tell you about your five husbands. So now you're trying to figure out, okay, this guy must have some connection to God. I need to ask him, is that the right place to worship or is that the right place to worship? Is this where I'm going to finally find my connection to God or is that where I'm finally going to find my connection to God? And she says, listen, there's time is Jesus responds. There's a time it's going to come when it's not going to matter whether you go over there or whether you go over there. And he says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. He's reminding her, all you guys have gone through is the first five books. There's like a whole bunch of them that are come, have come after that. So you don't know all of the things that are happening. In fact, it's very specific about that because it is after that, that place of the first five books. It is in the part that we refer to sometimes as the prophets and the kings. It's that part where it talks about the history of Israel that gives all of the prophecies that Jesus is coming. It's in that section that they don't read. So he's reminding her. He says, listen, you know very little about the one you worship. Because you're ignoring all of the prophecies that have been written about who is supposed to come. He says, well, we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. And then Jesus says this. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, in this translation, it changes that word and it says time. But in the original, um, in the original Greek that this is written in, they didn't use the word time. They, Jesus said, by the, he said, but the hour is coming. That, that's the word that he used. In fact, the phrase that he uses, the hour is coming. And every single time that Jesus says the hour is coming, what he's referring to is he's referring to his death. And so here's Jesus telling her that there is my death coming. She doesn't understand it because all she hears is the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's no longer going to be about where you're worshiping. It's going to be, are you filled with the spirit? Are you open to his truth? Spirit and in truth. And then Jesus says the father is looking for those who worship that way. And he closes this out. And this is 
how Jesus further describes it to her. He says this, he says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she understands that there is supposed to be someone who is going to come. Someone from God is going to come and is going to explain all of these things that we don't understand. Someone from God is going to come and make everything clear. She knows it. I know he's coming. And he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus is probably standing, well, it never said that he got up. So he could still be sitting by the well. But I'm thinking Jesus is standing up and he's like pulling his hair out. And he's saying, no, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. The guy that you think is coming to explain everything, to, to make everything clear to you, he is here. That is me. And in a second... It all clicks for her. She finally gets it. She finally understands it. She finally sees that there is this God who knows her completely, who knows everything about her, who knows not just the things about her that she can't do anything about. The fact that she's a Samaritan, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she is a social outcast. And all of the things that she has done The fact that she had husband one, husband two, husband three, husband four, the guy that's not her husband, he knows all of it. And in spite of knowing everything about her, everything that culturally should make her unacceptable and everything that morally should make her unacceptable. Listen to me. In spite of all of the things that she has done in her life, in spite of her biggest mistakes, Jesus says to her, I have a gift for you, right? I don't have a path that you can earn your way, right? I don't have a three, five, 10 step program. I don't have a say this verse every morning for 90 days and boom, your life is going to change. He says, I have a gift for you that he can know her completely and love her completely. And that same Jesus who encountered that woman is saying to you today, listen, I know you completely. I know everything about you. I know all of those things that you think makes you unqualified to be someone who has a relationship with me. And it could be things that you grew up with and you had no chance to do anything about. It could be that the family that you grew up in, the the city that you grew up in, the school that you had to go through. I know all of that. I still love you completely. And and there's some. And I was like this for many years because I. I always believed that in order to get my parents approval, I had to do good things. And I thought God was exactly the same way. And so I worked and worked and worked to try to get God's approval. And I will tell you, I would get close. You know, it's, it's like when, when, when they finally drop the, the basketball hoop from 10 feet to 8 feet. And you think that you're going to be able to slam dunk. And you jump up there and you just, you're close. But you're not getting it. I would get so close. I could feel the net. But I could never get there. And God is saying, listen, 
I understand all of those things that you think are keeping you away from me. But I know you completely. I know everything about you. I know all the things that you're trying to hide. I know the things that never show up on your Instagram account. I know all of those things. But I still love and accept you completely. And when that finally clicks for you, it completely changes your life. It did for this woman. Because as soon as it clicked with her, as soon as she understood, listen to what happened. It says, Jesus's, uh, Jesus' disciples came back. Okay, I shouldn't have left this in there, but I found this funny. Because Jesus' disciples come back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Right? Because this is their rabbi, and they come to the well, and there he is. He's hanging out with this chick, and they're talking. And it's like, no, what is going on? In fact... They were shocked, but listen to what it says. It says that none of them had the nerve to ask, hey, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Right? They were too scared. Why are you talking to her? They were thinking it, but they wouldn't say it. So while they're there, they're huddled around. They're trying to figure out what the boss is doing. It says this. This is what the woman does. The woman left her water jar. Now, this is significant, right? She came all the way up there to get the water. She left it right there. She didn't stop to think. She didn't think, well, I still got to do my chores. She realized something and she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. And this is what she said. She said, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. A man who knows everything about me. And he's still talking to me. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And the people came, and it ended like this, and it said, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Because that's what happens. That's what happens when it finally clicks, when it finally connects with us. That we say, listen, okay, I get it. I finally understand it. And our first response is, I want to tell everyone. And this entire series is that we've been going through these last three weeks. That is what we have been going towards. And my prayer has always been that for some of you who've been listening to us, maybe some of you who are watching us online, you come to this place where, listen, I finally get it. It's finally clicked. And for some of you, it may be that your first time in a church was today. Your first time in a church was a couple of weeks ago. For some of you, you might have had the same experience that I've had where you have been in church your entire life. You've gone through everything and it never really clicked because you thought that you had to do something to get God to love you. And maybe today it's finally going to get in there that no, exactly as I am, he knows me completely, he loves me completely. And when that clicks... Our natural reaction is to go and say, come and see. And that is why every quarter or so we schedule a baptism day. A day to give you an opportunity to say, listen, it finally clicked. I want to do that now. I want to yell to the world, to scream to the world that, yes, come and see. My life has been changed and it doesn't mean that you, you give up all your, all your bad habits immediately go away. Although sometimes God does that. And it doesn't mean that all of your problems immediately go away. Although sometimes God does that. 
It doesn't mean that you, all of your habits that you're trying to get rid of immediately disappear. Although sometimes God does that. But what it means is, is that you understand that Jesus accepts you exactly as you are. And you are making the decision to say, okay, I've tried it on my own. I'm done with that. Help me. Show me. Lead me to where you want me to be. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.